Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. We are a two-team booth here today, the two Tims, Priester and O'Malley, recapping Nordame's very successful recruiting um, finish. Six guys on the last day, coupled with the other 21 signed. And Tim, you know, I, I did the report card. I, I don't know how you feel about the, the grades here. I, 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 you know, I still look at the offensive line and you kind of expect a little bit more. I think Jarrett Patterson's a, is a pretty big time player and I've liked John Dirksen since the very beginning, but you know, I think that's, that's the one weakness on the offensive side. And as usual, the one weakness on the defensive side is defensive end, but everywhere else, including defensive tackle, I think they did a really, really nice job. That's for me. One, I mean, one of the two most important all the time, defensive tackle, no doubt. And, and at this cycle, they needed a quarterback, I think too. So that's, there's the other, um, yeah, I don't think, I guess we said before the podcast, I don't see it as a typical Notre Dame offensive line haul, and that I don't think that's arguable, but their offensive line hauls are usually otherworldly, at least for in terms of rankings coming in, um, and they usually hit on half of them. Now they have to hit on two of the three. That's how you're, you have to hit on two of the four. And you don't have the guarantee. Is that the best way to say it? I guess Patterson's the closest to the guarantee. Yeah, Sometimes you're really guaranteed. Like you look, you get Nelson and Bars in a class, and you know Nelson's going to be really good. You figure Bars is going to yeah. be good, and then you got to hit on one more. Yeah, although, although you know, I, I didn't realize they were projecting Luke Jones for center or guard, which I think that gives him a better chance yes. to be successful. Yeah. A really big body, doesn't have to work in space as much. And to be fair, when Trevor Rulin came in, we would have looked at that and been like, that's the throw-in, and they like him so much. Yeah. Now going to his senior year, he's going to be a two-year guy. Still hasn't contributed. But, no, but, but yeah. He's a, in, he's a solid backup. Yeah, though. no doubt. He's in the running. But, you know, I mean, from a from a wide receiver standpoint, I, I mean, I don't know how you can do much better than that. I I, I love. I think we all love Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsey. I don't real. I don't understand what the worry is about size because I just think he's a football player, which he proved on the defensive side of the ball as well as the offensive. And Lawrence Keys, who I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, his ability to stop on a dime and make a cut on a route is just off the chart. You and I really like Keys. I think if you look at everybody that covers Notre Dame, we're going to be the two highest on them. So we'll have that going into the next four years. I'm sure as soon as he second on the depth chart in August, we'll be called uh, the carpet for that one. But no, I, I, I feel the same way about Keys. The class, I know other people have talked about it. It's hard to – this is the best wide receiver group they brought in. It's yeah. outstanding. The, you know, the Fuller-Robinson-Hunter Anawalu one – was really good too, actually. That was a Ottawa was kind of the he was yeah. a wide receiver. He started out as a wide receiver at Notre Dame. He played a whole year as a wide receiver. That was a good one. Um, but this one I like this. We didn't know Fuller would be that good. So this star power coming I was, in. I was very yeah. high on Fuller, but I didn't expect not like, him to be. Yeah, yeah. I liked his <laughs> ball skills more than anything yeah. else. So I wasn't that was like, high on yeah. on Will Fuller. I didn't know he was the fastest guy <laughs> with the ball in college football. You know, I I rated. Um, I rated Phil Jerkovic fourth out of twenty-seven, and I and and some people were 
surprised at that. And I also gave it the quarterback position an A and not an A plus. And some people raise their eyebrows at that. And I just a couple things. One, I just, I'm not going to completely trust a quarterback until I see him throw against college coverages. Don't ever give an A plus a quarterback. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's number one. Number two, he went to the I believe it was U.S. Army All American game and struggled all week. If you're an A plus. You shouldn't be struggling against the best of the best. Having said all that, I mean, I love the kid. He's extremely, extremely talented, very athletic. Um, you know, I think he's going to be a very good quarterback for Notre Dame. But that, that was just what went into my thinking when I rated him fourth in the class and, and gave the position an A. I had him second behind Austin and just ahead of Shane Simon, actually, as number three. There was... Yeah, I think you feel the same way most people do about him. It's just there's no such thing as a slam dunk yeah. message. And not finished. There's there's more finished products, too. It's not like he's a finished and product. And you can probably but. say that about every position. A wide receiver, you don't know how he's going to adjust to coverages, right? That's true. Yeah, there, I mean, I was going to say Kevin Austin looks awfully good on film, but he's also way better than everybody guarding. Yes. And yeah. He's... <laughs> He looks really good on film, though, Tim. There was, was, it's a no, Michael, I love him. It's a Michael, my first it's a Michael Floyd look. Did you know I said that? I said a more athletic Michael yeah, Floyd? He run, he run, <laughs> it runs like him like he's like barreling. Does that make sense? But really fast? Yeah. It doesn't, I'm not saying he labors to run in any way. It just looks like he is... He like... It looks like he's struggling to run, but he's not. Yeah. He, he just looks like he's putting all his energy into it. No, he's he's a great player. I, I wasn't true to myself. I said all along I was going to pick Derek Allen number one. And I picked him number two. He's certainly number one on defense. Um, I had Shane Simon the highest defender. I, had, I thought the fit right away was good for him, too. Yeah, I had him six. I mean, that's How not, much do you that's do not that? low, but What's I probably fit? should have had him higher. People ask these questions. We do it, both Tim and I for sure, and I'm, and I'm sure Pete, we did it for their careers, the ratings. Yes, to clarify, we're not, we're like, for example, I'm certainly not saying that I had Tariq Bracey 15th. I'm not saying he's going to make an impact as a freshman because he probably won't. He's not strong enough, but we are picking by career. So did you, when I saw a guy like Simon, I also think of the rover. And I thought of his chances there. Yeah. I mean, Whereas I think, if Drew Tranquil was a sophomore superstar rover, I might have dropped Shane Simon more. Does that make sense? It does. And I think we take all those things into consideration because realistically, think about this. I had Lenz, a wide receiver, Lindsey third, a quarterback, Jerkovic fourth, a linebacker, Lamb fifth. Now, how do you really compare yeah. you know, a wide receiver with a linebacker? And so, I mean, it's very subjective, but... Yeah, I think you try to take all those things into consideration. And with Shane Simon, everybody loves the maturity of the kid, and we take you take that in consideration we have, too. We have to take that into yeah. consideration. That, that's the underrated part when everybody's looking at these. And Derek Allen's maturity too, I think, is, is something we all consider. Yeah, and I well, absolutely. Yeah. And then you hear Todd Light talk about him too, and it, it really emphasizes it. I don't know what I'm missing on J Man Franklin. I have number eight, number eight, I don't think Anybody else had him that high? Still listed as a three-star. What am I missing? Why isn't he a four-star? We're all pulling for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, why why is Trimble a three-star? Well, because he was hurt as a junior. And I asked that Brian Kelly said that. And, and I get that part. But I still think that his performance as a... Well, the the other answer is because not everybody can be a four-star. I say yeah, that's that. a great point. I say yes. that all the time. And I realize that you have to draw a line somewhere... And, and I, I didn't look at every tight end in the country, and I don't know if the tight end ahead of him, you know, I didn't see his film. Um, so, 
it's all subjective. And, that, you know, frankly, that's the fun part of it that we can have. We can say, you know what? These are the three stars that I think are underrated. Franklin's at the top of my list. And these stars won't matter as much in three years when they're just football players. But they do matter way down the road when I do a recap of classes. Yes. That's a fun yeah. exercise. <laughs> Which you'll, you'll, you'll be all caught up, caught up in uh, in a couple of days when you go through the, all the classes. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, you know, great job. Ended up, I mean, to get Noah Boykin on <laughs> on signing day, you know, was a bit miraculous because, A, and I thought it was interesting that Brian Kelly, you guys laughed at me last week and when I was clumsily trying to say that Noah Boykin didn't project well to Notre Dame, Brian Kelly said it much more eloquently than I did, but he said it. Um, but the interesting thing, and I don't know if you saw this, that Brian Kelly ended up saying, they were sold once the admissions department was sold on him. And, Having spent a little bit of time in the admissions department way back when, when when I was a student at Notre Dame, if anybody knows whether a guy can project, a guy or a girl can project to Notre Dame, it's the admissions department. Yeah, I was shocked when, <laughs> when he joined the class, honestly, just from Harry, just from listening to Tom and Kevin. Um, and they were on top of everything. I think they were a little bit surprised when it all came through, just being told that he wasn't Well, it was told. Yeah. It was mass confusion because yeah. Notre Dame thought it was going to be Virginia, and Florida was mentioned all along. Uh, yeah, everybody was surprised. I, I think the Nordin coaching staff, maybe other than Todd Light, who pushed until the final final second, was really surprised by it. But yeah, it's rounds out defensive backs again. That well, this is what they needed in this hall. Really, it is. Wow, one, two, three, four, six. Is it six? With six Wilkins, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you and I both like Wilkins more. His future at corner. Um, is that a definite move? Who no, said that but they were going to do that? Up. It was brought up. I don't. Yeah, it I, seems I like don't. an odd one for me. With, with uh, the with the receivers that they signed, I don't see the reason to move Joe Wilkins to offense. I, I'm trying to remember if I saw film of him on offense. I'm not sure that I did. I loved him at corner because of his size and his reach. Um. So we we'll see about that. But I but love what they did in the defensive secondary and. The coaches continue to speak very, very, very highly of Paul Moala, so we'll see what happens with him as well. So next, probably consider instant impacts. Now the guys here in the spring, yeah, you get a little bit of leg up, but really, I mean, I think with Jack Lamb here and with the position, not open, but not not closed <laughs> at Buck linebacker because. I think the Buck linebacker we talked about this last time is going not to be decided by Drew Tranquil, but decided by the other Rovers. Can they afford not to have Drew Tranquil, who has that position down pat at Rover? And part of that is who can play inside next to Tavon Coney. If Jack Lamb proves he can do that in a part-time role, it opens up some options. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think they pretty much have their sights set on Tranquil playing Buck, or at least starting the spring at Buck. Uh, but again, like you know, like offensive line, you put your five best guys out there. You're going to put your three best linebackers out there, and and certainly, you know, Tranquil is all American caliber at Rover, uh, and we'll and probably Simon's be very not, good. Simon's not here, which I, I right. If it's going to be Bilal against Usu Kormo, that's a good spring matchup. It'd be nice to throw Shane Simon in that mix. Yeah. Um, it all t- depends on how he takes the position, yeah. of course, and the teaching of it. Uh, I'm. My interest is piqued by all the things that Mike Elston said about Justin Adamalola and about the chip on his shoulder. And, you know, that's a that's an overused phrase, I guess, cliche. But here's a kid that I think has really improved his senior year. 
Uh, they need defensive ends. I'm not sure that he's in a position to crack the lineup or anything like that. But I'm interested to see if he actually becomes the type of player that he himself thinks he can be. I guess he has a kind of a two-year, year-and-a-half window to go against Ogan DG and some of the other yes. guys that aren't in. The, and, of course, Jay Hayes will be gone after next year, yeah. but that, that opens it up. But, no, this year I, I kind of like a Hayes-Kareem one, you know, strong side defensive end, and then that drop end, Dale and Hayes core. I like where they are right now. No doubt. Uh, yeah, I think that I think they're well positioned. And Hayes is, I think Brian Kelly said it the other day, is cross training. Will cross train at, at three technique. So, just you know, so our podcast can talk about that for three more years, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We haven't <laughs> talked about that. We haven't talked about that enough. But uh, and then I, I let's see. Maybe the last position we haven't really talked about here right now is. Is running back and and I you know I mean I, I I don't I don't disagree that Jameer Smith and Sebo Flemister uh, are three star running backs I think that's what they should be ranked because again they can't all be four star right. running backs but I do think that there's quite a bit of ability there and we'll 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 get to see Jameer Smith a little bit this spring and then Flemister's senior film was really really dynamic so I gave that a B minus. Um, Somebody said, you know, that they always, somebody always says, "I wish I had Priester as a as a professor," um, because Created they did on a curve. <laughs> yeah, because they did because they didn't think Jameer Smith and, and Flemister deserved a B minus. But yeah, if you just go by star rating, I get it. But if you watch their film, you know, it, that, it was a toss up between C plus and B minus. It doesn't really matter what the hell I marked them down at. But I thought that they were worthy of. Of that, based upon the way they play their senior seasons, I was surprised by Flemisher's film. I really liked it. I think he's, I think he has the qualities you want in a college running back. It doesn't matter if he doesn't have great breakaway speed. I don't. That's mildly. I don't want to say it's completely overrated breakaway speed because boy, it's nice when they finish off those runs. But toughness and vision is underrated at the position in college too. I I agree. I mean. You know, Notre Dame had a whole bunch of big runs and big plays last year, and that's the exception to the rule. It doesn't, it doesn't normally work out that way. I, I want to see a guy hit the hole. If he can, if he can, if he can hit the gap and get through that, then everything after that is is bonus, right? Yeah, that's that's if how they that's how they used to teach it. Yeah. The first four yards are mine; the rest is yours. Right, and right. that's that. That's what you get to see. So I like those two. I'm not saying that they're going to be stars. I'm not even saying that either one of them is ever going to be a starter for Notre Dame, but. I'm open-minded about them as they come in, especially Jameer Smith being here this spring. Do you ever do you remember Reggie Brooks's comment about that? And after his senior year, he said it took me a long time to learn the mantra at Notre Dame is the first four yards belong to me, and by me he means the coaches. <laughs> <laughs> you better do what yeah. we and then the next four are all up to you. Well, it's no such thing as the first four being up to you. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny you should say that. I, I saw Reggie over the weekend with the the 40th anniversary of basketball and. I can vouch for that being the case with Reggie Brooks because, I mean, he struggled early in his career at Notre Dame. He, he was playing cornerback for a while there. Uh, but, you know, that was one guy, though, once you once he got those first four yards, <laughs> you knew that he was capable of getting a whole bunch more The next after 70 that. belonged to yeah, him. Yeah, the next 70 nice. belonged to nice him. About it. Exactly, exactly. Uh, position changes. There's been a lot of speculation about what they're going to do at running back. I think it's... I think it's a little overblown because with Jameer Smith being there um, this spring, they have three in the spring. Plus Mick Asaph. Mick Asaph will walk on, will, walk on will, will move over there. And then you'll have Flemister in the fall. So you have four scholarship running backs. You have Asaph. 
You probably have another walk-on or two that isn't coming to mind or will be playing this fall. How many more do you need? I mean, maybe one more. I mean, you, I you'd probably you like to have five scholarship running backs, right? You want five when one's always hurt. Yeah, and I get that. I, I, I get that. And, and maybe Tony Jones is always hurt, too, right. so it could be two. Um, so I, I get the need there. I just don't... Is it an impact move, though, is what you're saying? Like, what what is the move? If it's just for... Is it a guy you're grooming to be able to be a running back against Vanderbilt in September? Or is it just a move because you need practice reps? Because a move you need practice reps. It'll be the latter. It'll be the latter because we know who the front runners are. And I'm going to jump into one of our questions just so we can talk about this now from Wash ND about who's more likely to move to running back, Nick Coleman or Dante Vaughn. Dante Vaughn to safety, Nick Coleman. Oh, Dante Vaughn to safety. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, I, I think I said this in a previous podcast. If you're Nick Coleman... You were a starter last year at safety. What? You, will you move to running back so you can be the number five running back? I mean, who's going to do that? How can you? And how can you, you? can't do that to a kid. I realize that coaches are coaches and they're in charge and what they say goes. But you can't do that, especially to a senior. I guess unless you're moving him now, you're moving him in the spring with the actual thought that he could audition to be a number two running back because they don't trust okay. number one or number two. That's the only way. But you're right. If you're saying we want depth at running back, but you're not probably competing for the job, then it's tough to ask your starting safety. Who might not be your starting safety? But he has a shot to be at the beginning of the year. He does have a shot. Yeah, I mean, he's the, 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 he's the most the experienced safety they have right now. And he knows he knows what's going on back there. He just right. wasn't making plays. But let's, let's, let's say Derek Allen and Houston Griffith don't come in and set the world on fire, you might be going with your senior two-year starter at safety. So that's the question. Does he t- use the spring to find out if he can compete at it? Maybe he doesn't need the whole spring to keep working, right? I, I think him him getting the reps at safety are too important yeah. to take that chance. So, I, you know, I don't know. Brian Kelly suggested that they were still working on that or, or they had some ideas that he didn't want to share with the public. I... I my first reaction to that was that that was just a little bit overblown, and he was just saying words because he said a lot. Of, <laughs> That's a long day. <laughs> go, it, it was, and and if you if you go if you were there or if you read the transcript transcript, there's just a lot of words being said, which coaches sometimes just say words, and so I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they have an idea about somebody that that we don't know. Coleman seems. You know, if he were a sophomore, I get it. He's a senior. He's in his last year of eligibility. Yeah, Am I yeah, correct? Yeah. So, you know, there's – I guess you could frame it like, hey, man, we don't know who our running back's going to be. These other two guys couldn't stay on the field. Maybe you can be our running back. But And he was – I liked him as a running back. I liked back his high school, high school. Yeah. as an offensive player better. I did. Yeah, no, I did too. I did too. But that remains to be seen, and that will be a question that we will ask a uh, hundred times between now and the start of spring. Two-game winning streak in basketball. It was crucial, because without it, they would be done, and we wouldn't bother talking about tonight's game. <laughs> they would have lost one of these two at home. Listen, if they win this game, and you and I agree, they're back on the bubble. They play North Carolina tonight. Yes, North, North, North Carolina. Carolina. At North Carolina, North Carolina is in game three in five days. The only team in the ACC to do that this year, and the first time North Carolina's program, because, you know, they get to pick some stuff to do in life, yeah. has done it since 1980. I 1980. Can't, I can't believe... A, that they're doing it to North Carolina. Right, that's why they haven't done it since 1980. And B, that it's necessary to make North Carolina play 
Duke at home on Thursday, at NC State on Saturday, and at home against Notre Dame on Monday. Emotionally, it's going to be hard for Carolina to be as up for this one. No because doubt. they just played their two biggest rivals and beat them. Um, physically, also hard. I will point out they didn't travel. This is kind of like playing a tournament situation. They went 30 minutes north to Raleigh. That was it. So it's a little better than going, yeah. say, to fly up to Boston or something to play and come back. But right. Emotionally, it's going to be hard because you beat Duke and North Carolina State, and North Carolina State was a revenge rematch win after they beat you in Carolina a couple weeks ago. So, look, they have plenty of players. It's not like Notre Dame has them completely ripe for the picking. Right. But this is the best time to possibly catch North Carolina when you're Notre Dame and you absolutely need a real road win. This road win counts so much more than just beating Boston College on the road at the end of the year when you're adding things up. I, I agree, and and I, I went back and forth a little bit with one of our subscribers in a thread, not really back and forth. He said something, I responded, he responded. But, um, you know, his the the notion that if Notre Dame can go 9-9, nine and nine, they're in. And, and, I, and that's why I agree with your point that, you know, you're, you're better off, well, I, I guess... Neither goes, is ideal to lose this to go, BC. Right, this yeah. goes without saying. Winning at North Carolina is more important than winning at BC. There's more to be, yeah. There's more to be taken from it. If you lose at BC, it's like okay, you lost a road game. If you win at UNC, that's a real feather in your hat. And and frankly, now that we it's look at no, best win of the year, it's your best yeah. win of the year. And you you go, I mean, what are their big wins this year? They won at Wichita State in in November, in or neutral, they won they beat site, yeah. they beat Wichita State in Hawaii in November. And North Carolina State was a good win in the end because they'll have a good record and they beat, <coughs> they beat everybody. North Carolina State beats yeah, everyone they play. But we know they didn't have their point guard and right. it was at Notre Dame. And so they beat them by 30. But, I mean, you, you lost to Indiana, a game you should have won when you were at full strength. Uh, you got hammered by Michigan State. Ball State's going to linger Ball State, you lost at home. Yeah, they're not a lock at 9-9. Nine and nine. I, I will say that 9-9 nine and nine Notre Dame in 2018 – is a world of difference than nine and nine or nine and seven even Notre Dame ten years ago when they had no standing in college basketball and didn't deserve one. They are looked upon as a program now, and they will the committee will see Bonzi Colson coming back, Notre Dame making it to nine and nine in the ACC. They'll be middle of the pack. Wake Forest made it last year at nine and nine. Now teams cannot go at ten and eight. Syracuse didn't go at ten and eight. Yeah. Though I think that was punitive because they wanted to keep punishing Jim Beheim. Seems a like bit. it happens to Syracuse <laughs> yeah, a lot. It does happen to Syracuse. <laughs> That's what happens when you don't travel outside of Syracuse yeah. to play games. But now it's a, it's a, it's a it's a huge game for Notre Dame. I know, you know, being in the locker room after the game Saturday. I mean, they feel really good. Matt Farrell feels really good. He's healthy. Uh, Bonzi Colson is close to coming back. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second, but. You know, I think they, I think they have a shot, and it, yeah, I think you're right, Tim. Emotionally, um, North Carolina, you can't get up for three games in five days when you just played your rivals. No, but they have. I, I did a pretty detailed preview on this one because Tim and I have both seen North Carolina more than any other basketball team in the history of the world, other than Notre Dame. It's over the last four years. It's I don't know how many either scouting them for the Notre Dame game or actually watching them play Notre Dame, and you catch every Notre Dame or North I, Carolina. I know game. their substitution pattern. Yeah, it's, uh, they are. They're playing better. They are. They're once again the secondary break, and that is that's not just you know turnover fast breaks. This is no, they are running after made shots right now because that's how confident they are in that attack, and that is something Notre Dame's gonna. Yeah, I wish they were. I I would. I would rather that they were the typical North Carolina team with their bigs, actually, than than that. Yeah. Kind of depends on their legs, probably, and their level of focus. I will say, I mean, Notre Dame, they've beat Notre Dame four in a row. So these guys necessarily aren't in that Notre Dame beat us three in a row stage anymore. Some of these guys weren't around for that. It's obviously it's a super tough matchup. I do. I I think we took Notre Dame 
to keep it close and lose by four at the end, which would be disheartening for them going to Boston College. That's a hard thing to regroup from. Uh, the line's nine and a half. I don't. I think Notre Dame's going to play well tonight. It just you got to close out Carolina at Carolina, and they do have Luke May, who's an All American candidate and the reigning Most Valuable Player of the NCAA tournament on their team. Yeah. To close out at home. Yeah, but the players are human, and they're looking at the schedule like we are too, and they're saying to themselves, you know, like right now at this moment, yeah, they're they're, you know, they're in line with beating North Carolina, and they're confident. But after they lose, or if they lose. Afterwards, they're they're going to know that hey, if we can win our two our last two home games, if we can win a Wake Forest and Boston College, we're going to be nine and nine. So it's there. They realize that, but this is a big game and it's a huge opportunity. Now, I did want to before we finish the segment. Ooh, it's running long in a jack. It is. Uh, <laughs> you want to talk Bonzi, about Kenny Williams jump no, shot for a while, Jack? I want to talk Bonzi Colson. I came to find out over the weekend is whether he shared this with Mike Bray and the coaching staff or not, is thinking about returning for February 24th at Wake Forest. Um, that would be huge because that's a game that they have to win. Then they have Pittsburgh at home, which they would probably win with or without uh, Colson and Farrell. Colson. Yeah. <laughs> and then at Virginia, they're not going to win that game with, who'd you say? Jaron Grant. Jaren Grant. <laughs> that's that's not a win, but yeah. um, that's okay. You can lose that so game. So he's looking at that. I believe, if, if I remember correctly, that – I know that they took an X-ray at the beginning of last week. That was it was fine. They're going to take another one at the beginning of this week, and if they were confident in it, they would look at allowing him to start practice. So that, let's see, today is the um, today's the thirteenth, so that he could start the following week in preparation for uh, Miami and Wake Forest. And. He can be not just a guy coming back for the ACC tournament, I think might be the most important thing here. Give you a few minutes to play. Um, his second game back is going to be, I would assume, would be taxing on his body. Yeah. So uh, the key is you get him in the ACC tournament, win an ACC tournament game after going 9-9, nine and nine, hopefully, and then the committee sees you have an All-American back on your team after you fought through the season. Yeah, and I think, you know, like the whole idea, he shouldn't play against Virginia because they're not going to win anyway. Well, if he's going to be ready for the right. ACC That's, tournament, get him out there a little and bit. if he is physically prepared to play that game, then you play him. Maybe you limit his minutes. Um, you know, you don't put him in high leverage situations per se. But um, you know, we'll see. I, anyway, I just want to throw that about Wake Forest. I'm not saying it's going to happen. The last guy that would allow it to happen if if they weren't 100% certain that he would avoid injury again just by playing is Mike Bray. So um, we'll see what happens, but tonight, big opportunity against North Carolina. Okay, we'll be back for segment two with questions. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider, burning up the boards. We start with a question from Not Jay Tafel. A hypothetical question. If Bonzi Colson and Matt Farrell had stayed healthy, what would Notre Dame's record be right now? You know, you and I both picked Notre Dame to be 10-8 and eight I know. with Colson, and I don't think we're that far off. I think Notre Dame would be about 7-5 and five right now, and you could argue 8-4. and four. I, don't, I know they could have beaten Louisville and North Carolina without Colson. I think they would have gotten one of those for sure at home in those back-to-back games. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think you just can say they're going to beat those teams because of it, though. I don't. They might not have stolen Syracuse as a desperate team with with Colson in there. The ebb and flow of a basketball season doesn't lend itself to this. I think the question is good because they're twelve games in. They would not be ten and two. They, they're not that type of team. So I don't. I don't. I would put it in the 
generously eight and four range. No, they're they're no, they're not. They wouldn't be that good. But you know, and 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 you look at, I mean, the flow of their offense is kind of is better without Colson, or it has been. I'm not saying it's more productive, but I mean the actual flow of their offense, especially that 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 first game was that the first game when Farrell didn't play. Yeah. Yeah, you know when when they they made a concerted effort to be really really quick and efficient and move offensively. You can always hear Mike Bray yelling, "Move!" I think seven and five is fair. Yeah, Carolina I think seven and five. five. And I'm not <laughs> look. I'm not saying that they're better off with Colson. I'm just saying, no, of course not. That their offense flows a little bit more quickly when he's not in there. It'd be nice to get him back. This is not going to be a problem getting Colson back in though. A healthy Colson, like it was with Heron Goody. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but he coming back. Stop that team, unfortunately, <clears throat> from going as far as it could in the tournament. That would not be the case with Colson. They need him. But for me to say eight and four or something right now, Duke is eight and four. Yeah. In the ACC. So I think seven and five is the realistic. But seven and five and sailing into the NCAA tournament is the difference. Is right. the real difference. I think seven and five would be would be about right. And they'd be in a good position. You know, the shame of it is that you just you didn't get one of those North Carolina and Louisville games. Yeah. Otherwise you'd be five hundred, which is at this stage of the the 18-game ACC season, that's really, really huge. Packy P, given this is one of BK's best classes, do you think it may alter his retirement timeline, given that most feel he has one to two years left in him? My initial reaction to that is no. I, I, don't, I don't think that that would impact him one way or another. Uh, I don't think he looks at it that way. Do you? No, I don't think he looks at it that way. I think we all look at it that way. I don't think he's looking at his retirement timeline right now. I think last year... Staying with Notre Dame kind of re-energized him, and we see how long that re-energizing re-energization. I was going to try to get it up for some reason. I don't. I think that we see how long that that feeling lasts. Yeah. Um, and we. Don't, I think he's still re-energized, don't you? I mean, yeah, I, think he's fine I right now. Yeah. yeah, I do. I mean, he. You know, him and his assistants work their butts off. Ten and three, he'll still be re-energized. Eight and five, he won't be. You know. Yeah. Undefeated yeah. national champions, you retire. There's just. Bad year, you're fired. There's, yeah. it's not all up to him. No, it's not. I my point was that he that they've worked very hard in recruiting. He worked very hard on the the close of recruiting, and it showed in the results. But I, I just don't. I don't think that. I don't think that has anything to do with Brian Kelly's timeline. What the kind of class that he just signed? No, because I wouldn't think he's here for the class. Four years. That's a lot. I, I wouldn't think so. He has said he won't be. That doesn't mean it can't change, but. I can't imagine him coaching in 2022. Right. right. Uh, CNG 15. Who is the coach on this staff most likely to one day be the head coach of Notre Dame? That's. I mean, Elston hasn't been a head coach yet. So he was the first guy that came to mind, but he hasn't been a head coach yet. So he'd have to be like a 60-year-old head coach at Notre Dame, a 55-year-old head coach at Notre Dame. Well, he's, what, 43 probably if he was a Michigan player in 94. Yeah. That's my range, so... Now, I guess he could be a 55-year-old head coach at Notre Dame. Uh, you're but not you looking still at, don't think that Mike Elson is I don't, head but he's the first guy. But I don't think that Jeff Quinn, Todd Light, Autry Denson will be. I don't think... Chip Long? Chip Long's young enough. Now he has to put a go somewhere else first, though. He has to go somewhere else first. Chip Long can't coach at Notre Dame no, right now. Absolutely, or in two years. absolutely not. Um, Brian Poe no, has to go wait, have success somewhere And the somewhere question else. is not, you know, he this guy's going to succeed Brian Kelly. No, one day, success. though. Chip right. Long's got to leave and be successful. Ryan Poley would have to leave and be successful. I think Clark Lee's never coordinated a game before, and I think he's the most likely to be a head coach. What about Tommy Reese? I I don't know. I don't never I be a head coach. I don't, I don't he's in that. it pretty young. I, I 
He's 25. I was, in, I was impressed with Clark Lee the other day. I, I, I was too. Tommy Reese is 25. He's a Notre Dame <laughs> so, coach. So you're saying that he's got a longer <laughs> yeah. time period to become You can give him coach. 25 more he years. Be, yeah, he could be head coach 25 years from now. <laughs> I'm going Reese. <laughs> I'm going with the odds. 25 years from now. I'm not covering that. I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Um, I don't know. As far as guys that impressed me, I was really impressed with Clark Lee the other day. I have no idea what he's going to call on third and ten. Uh, you know, we we don't really know that. I just thought. I just. I think he's. Let's talk about that for a second, though. I mean, forget about the the head coach thing because we don't we don't know uh, per Fun se. Fun question, but, but we don't. Know. No, yeah, it's a good question, but. Um, you know, I think I was impressed with Clark Lee the other day. I think he's got a chance to be a good defensive coordinator. I think he's got the right frame of mind. I think the players like him and respect him. The second part being more important than the first part. Um, but we have, I guess, we have no idea really how he's going to coordinate a game. But I thought he made a really strong impression the other day. I interviewed him in August, and that's how it goes in Notre Dame. If you're not a coordinator, you get to interview them in August, yeah. and. Uh, well, now he's a coordinator. That's why you got to interview him. <laughs> but it's August National Signing Day and once in the spring. Um, yeah, I, I, I really liked him as a first-year head coach. I thought he was honest about everything in, in a way that doesn't, you know, you don't have to be transparent as a coach. But for him to give right. real answers about what made Tavon Coney a player in his eyes in August and for him to start by saying, well, he wasn't at the end of the spring. How that played out now is remarkable because... We thought just, oh, Tavon Coney, good, he's improved. Tavon Coney was one of the best players on the yeah. football team. I like Clark Lee a lot, too. I'm just going back to the... You're right, he hasn't coordinated a defense No, he yet. hasn't. But no, he hasn't. He's... But I thought he said a couple of interesting things. And, and you know, he didn't He didn't say, hey, you know, I helped Mike Elko shape his the defense that he coached. But I think that that's what he believes because he was with him at three stops beginning... Six years ago at Bowling Green. I am really with the Notre Dame crowd now, more so than... I, I didn't really have a strong feeling on this. I thought if you could find a great defensive coordinator that wanted to come to Notre Dame, it would be okay to change systems. I'm really... I kind of agree with this call that... As you said, you don't know what he's going to do on third down. Like, Mike Elka was the master of it. Keeping this this continuity of this defense with the guys you had coming back was by far the right call. Absolutely. And that's going to help him. I, that's going to help him this year. I think most people, I think, on the outside and inside, realize that. Yes, now, obviously. I, I've always felt when people always say, "Well, let's keep continuity." I always think, "Well, can you get the best defensive coordinator in college football right, instead?" Right. But that's also not necessarily realistic. Well, but even if you ask that question, the answer would have been no. You weren't going to right. be able to do that. Um, could you have gotten in a, a guy with experience? Yeah, probably, but. You know, you're finishing up recruiting. I, I think most people under the circumstances thought it was the right choice. And, and I, you know, my, my point about about Clark Lee thinking, feeling like, you know what, this I helped develop this defense too. And he didn't say that by any means. Right. Uh, but I think that that's how he feels, and he should feel that way because, you know, he made three stops with Elko, beginning with Bowling Green and Wake Forest and Notre Dame. And I don't know exactly how much Elko leaned on Clark Lee, but... Mike Elko leaned, I mean, leaned enough on him to keep bringing him to wherever he went, and he would have taken him to A&M as well. So, you know, I think he's a big part of creating the defense that Mike Elko did. Mike Elko, of course, being the architect of it. So I'm very encouraged by that. So 2040, Tommy Reese, Notre Dame. CMU <laughs> Pens fan. What do you believe Ian Book has to improve on to give himself the best shot at starting quarterback? You know, based upon what... 
what we have heard, um, you know, I mean, it's consistency in practice too. We see the inconsistency of Brandon Wimbush in games. We haven't had an opportunity to see Ian Book that much, but he threw a, a what three picks? Two bad, two two bad ones too. Right, the Garden Variety, you get an interception once right. in a while, but so, the red zone one and the one against the LSU was a bad read and a bad throw. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, and those are, from what we understand, uh, those are mistakes that he makes in practice. Right. So that would be, I mean, that to me, that's it. The consistency in practice, making the right decisions. You know, I think he's way more inclined to force something than Wimbush is because Wimbush is very reluctant to throw something because I don't think that he trusts his accuracy, whereas Book completely trusts his accuracy and tries to squeeze some things in there. So, you know, I I think just some, uh, I don't know if I want to say common sense, but just having an on-off button when it comes to, uh, you know, trying to be too risky and too dangerous with a throw. I was decision-making, for sure, for Ian Book, in-game decision-making, and of course that, as you said, Everybody says that we've talked to a Notre Dame. He makes mistakes in practice like Brandon Wimbush does. So we've seen a couple of them on the field. I also want to give him the benefit of the doubt where you're coming in in relief against Miami. Well, Miami, that's the worst interception. That's the one I couldn't oh, yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah. That was the worst one. I wasn't even thinking about that one. So that's four interceptions. Yeah, that, and those are all the bad. Then three of the three were – that was catastrophic. And then two were terrible and one was regular. So that's not a great track record in yeah. 60 throws. But I was thinking for Ian Book, when you come in and you're trying to win a game – and that was the Miami game, and that was the LSU game in relief. It's a different world. You, all, you have to force You have to right? do some stuff. Yeah. You're trying to make some plays, so I don't think you have to see that if he's the starting quarterback over a 12-game slate. Uh, and North Carolina, I mean, he threw one bad pick in the red zone, whatever. It was his yeah. first start. He had a pretty efficient day yeah. that game. And, you know, the thing that he showed, I mean, he shows several intangible things that make you believe that he, he doesn't have more upside than Wimbush because Wimbush is so physically talented. But I think that while certainly he can dig further into Chip Long's playbook than Brandon Wimbush can right now. And that's probably one of his calling cards as he goes into the spring. And we may never talk about this position again until late August, the quarterback spot at Notre Dame on these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, uh, that is the last question we'll get on that yeah. before August, yes. All right, SR5452, what are your playing time predictions or even position predi- predictions for the following? Adi Ogundiji, Jameer Jones, which is the best question on here, Jordan Jenmark Heath, Jeremiah Usu koromoa and Dante Vaughn. Well, I mean, let, let, let's start with playing time. Um, Ogundiji is the third strong side defensive end behind Hayes and Kareem. Yeah, so that's going to be really difficult. Jameer Jones, you know, has he really found his position That's yet? why that's the most intriguing that's, to me. Right, is he the, the backup part of it. Buck? Yeah. I mean, I think playing time, Jim Markeith, I, mean, I know he's only really played one game. He might start. Defense, <laughs> and, but he might start because he was... I mean, at least against the run, he was very impressive and very aggressive and very decisive, um, which is pretty impressive when you think you're making your first start against LSU in a bowl game. So I think, you know, just on the surface, I'm not sure that we have – Dante Vaughn's been in the program the longest. but Can he, he beat out Nick sa- Watkins as a fifth-year senior? Nick Watkins wasn't great, and Nick Watkins has injury issues with tendonitis, so – if Vaughn's healthy, I mean, I'm not sure he can beat him out without something physically happening to Watkins. Do you? I mean, how do you? feel I kind about of agree, that? but he has tendonitis that bothers him, and he admits it bothered him all the second half of the year. And my speculation was, well, maybe because it's so cold and awful. Yeah. Then he said it was terrible in Miami, so that's tendonitis. That's right. And you know, I mean, the other thing to consider not that 
you know, again, Clark Lee is is a protege of Elko, but he's going to have his own. He's going to make his own decisions on personnel and who can play, and who can't. And, they and maybe he felt maybe he feels Vaughn could play could have played last year. Maybe Vaughn needs to put together a full spring and then not get hurt in August to have a yeah, chance to. First, first and foremost, uh, the health, and then Awusu uh, Koromoa. He could win the role. I just don't feel like it necessarily is. He will. Do you? No, because I think the question the question was when he came in last year that he he doesn't understand defense well enough for us to put him in. So let's not use your eligibility. I, I doubt that he's going to make that much of a leap. But we both loved him since we're coaching the team. We both loved him <laughs> at the line of scrimmage in his film. That we we looked at him and thought that guy he's got to stay up there. He no can't doubt. be back in the back no, end. Yeah, no yeah. doubt about it. And that's why I thought at least he'd play special teams. And, but they that came you know, down to the end, though, if I recall right. We we talked to them. Um, I guess it was yeah. Media day was near the end this year in August, and Polian and Lee both said I talked to both of them. It's coming down to the wire. We have to decide if he's going to be activated or not. And once they activated Jenmark Heath, it was clear Osu Koromara wasn't going to be activated. Right, right. So I don't know. I'm really encouraged by Jenmark Heath. Now, as far as position predictions, I don't think. Uh, I don't know where Jameer Jones is going other than he'll start out probably a backup buck, right? <coughs> or backup. Well, he was a Mike last year. He was Mike. Yeah, backup so, Mike. Um, but Jonathan Jones seems like the... Yeah, he's the backup know, of the other position. Yeah, right? I, you know, that that is... I mean, we can we can sit and speculate about how the whole... The, the, the three linebackers, including Rover, is going to shake out. But, man, we're just... You know, we're spitballing here. Because yeah. there's a lot of... You know, we don't know where Jameer Jones will end up. We thought Jonathan Jones was impressive. When he did play a little bit. Jameer Jones had a contributing game-winning tackle against LSU at the goal line in a goal line package inside linebacker spot. Jonathan Jones played really well, really well in garbage time. So I'm not sure how to weigh those guys. In other words, you're right. We don't know. Yeah, and and, I mean, Jameer Jones playing in goal line, that's a whole different story. Right, that's true. That's that's totally situational and specialization, which he will probably regardless what position he plays, will probably maintain that role. But And then uh, Okandiji is, I mean, Elston said the other day, I want to try to find a role for him. So, you know, third, <laughs> third. He's not buried like Tiasa. No, no, no. He's a, he's no, no, a guy, he's that, a guy has that, that they chance. feel yeah, has yeah. ability. I don't know that they ever felt like Tiasa had any ability, so. We got any more questions, Jack? No, we're that's done. gonna that's gonna be that's going to be it for today. Uh, Tim O'Malley will be gone next Monday when we come back February nineteenth, but I'll be here with Pete Sampson. He'll be back in town. Pete is making the uh, making the trip to Denver, Denver and Sarasota, Denver and Sarasota. I, I want maybe his he'll gig. Come back. Maybe he won't. From I w- yeah, I want his. I'll gig. be in Fort Myers. I might stay a little longer. Oh, It'll probably and we can be sure that it'll be warmer in Sarasota in February than it was in Orlando in December. Unfortunately. All right, everybody. We'll be back on Monday, February nineteenth. This is Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by IrishIllustrated.com. <laughs>